what we do know is that children in lines with desks, which has been going on for 500 years, does not work for the majority of children in that room. So what does work? How can we experiment? How can we engage teachers to uh, intervene with project-based learning? Um, you know, individual tuition to the children, how do they get groups together, how do they teach. Kia ora from New Zealand and welcome to the Fernware Learning Lab hosted by Bill and Kelly. Firmware's research and insights team. In this podcast, you'll meet some of the world's leading educationalists who'll be sharing their stories of inspiration and insights for the future with some practical advice for the classroom. Back to strange days again. Yeah. Um, uncertainty. Yeah. I know. I think um, I think we all felt quite confident hitting that 100-day mark, didn't we, here in New Zealand? But yeah. And now the rest like... of the world has gone, welcome to our club. That's right. And then you kind of look at places like Vietnam and other places where they kind of did 99 days in Vietnam and then mm. they got the 100 at sites. So you can, we did our best, but you know what, response is everything and I think we're all ready to go back to working from home or homeschooling or, or distance learning because yeah, we've done it Everyone had the before. emails already. That's right. That's all right. The, the tennis clubs, the, Sports <laughs> the cafes, everything. Yeah. yeah, people know what they're doing. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Um, hearts are going out to our friends in Victoria though. They've had a bit of a um, rough run of, the, of it the last few weeks, but it looks like, fingers crossed, cases have dropped. We're just hoping that, you know, that's got a cap on it now and they can come out the other side in a few weeks and, and you know... I hope the world, you know, maybe maybe the Russian vaccine will work. Who knows? Who knows? It's a fast-moving it is. It is. feast. It is, it is. Yeah. So uh, what have we got this week on the podcast? This week we are meeting the Managing Director of Gratnall's. Um, he's such a polymath. He, he, he's, he's cool. So uh, Murray Hudson is author of Planning Learning Spaces, mm. which is a really updated, um, fantastic, almost like how to mm. um, interesting people. All the right names are involved in it that you'd want to be involved in it. So uh, back to the Clever Classrooms, the Salford Study. Um, people who should be in this book are in this book. Sandra Jenkins from Freemans Bay Primary in Auckland awesome. features. So mm. that's mm. exciting too, but um, it's just a bit of a best of what innovative classrooms around the world isn't it what people right. are doing differently so Gratnalls for those who don't know do fantastic storage solutions for um, science labs and classrooms in general um, they are the king of the tote tray I'd mm, say or, yes. or like one of the top two suppliers in the world of tote trays yeah. um, but they've gone beyond to make sure that they really understand their customer which is very much in alignment with what we are uh, attempting to do at Fernwell. Yeah, very much so. So we hope you enjoy listening. Well, we're really, really honoured to welcome Murray Hudson uh, from Gratnos. He's the Managing Director. Um, he's got a CV to die for. Um, having been a BBC journalist for many years, launching Radio 5 Live, um, doing a specialist skiing magazine. Um, but now he's the Managing Director of Gratnos, who are specialists in educational storage solutions. Uh, he's on the board of the British Education Suppliers. Um, he was the chair of the British Educational Furniture Manufacturers Group for many years. And he sits on the council of um, US equipment manufacturing suppliers, the market. Uh, so welcome, Murray. Absolutely fantastic to be here, Bill. Particularly of interest is he's now also co-author of the book Planning Learning Spaces, which is going to become a bible for... Um, for people interested in um, following in from 
things like the third teacher, the the VS book, and and uh, Prakashner's work. This is a, a fantastic addition to the canon. Mm, thank you very much. First, you you've got a fantastic, unique overview coming from your own perspective of what's happening globally in in schools. Is what's happening in in global? What are the trends? What's happening? What's interesting? Which countries are ahead of others? I'm so unbelievably lucky to be able to literally travel the world and visit schools and visit places um, like Fernware. Uh, and I really have got a, a, almost a unique position where I can see what absolutely everyone's doing. What is happening in the world is very uh, patchy and different and difficult. There is a titanic battle going on all over the world to find out what is it we are going to teach our children, what jobs are they going to be doing, what skills, what knowledge do they need. Some countries, uh, and I'm going to include the UK, are just struggling so hard to attempt to rethink it. They find it much easier to just regress into the past, test people within an inch of their lives. But as they say, if you carry on doing what you've always done, you'll carry on guessing what you've always got. We know that education standards are not improving despite ever more money being spent on it. We know that the, the bright kids and the rich kids are always going to do well, always. It doesn't matter whether you put them in the worst classroom in the world, they're still going to do well. But what nations have really got to get to grips with is what we do with the bottom 50%. What are they going to be doing? Because the jobs which their parents did or their parents aspired to are just not going to be there. They've got to be taught differently. They've got to be engaged differently. They've got to have different skills of, of the which the curriculum would have to move so fast just to sort of even basically you know, keep track with everything. So countries that are really making an effort, the Scandinavian countries, once again, Denmark, uh, really engaged with it. Um, I would say that, again, New Zealand really engaged in it. They want to do something better. They realise that what they did in the past isn't good enough and they're prepared to take the risks and try ideas um, to come up with something better because they know that the same status quo is just quite simply not good enough. Again, Australia you know, is looking good. Um, actually, surprisingly, America as well. I mean, America isn't just one country, it's 51 states, each one, certainly in terms of the UK and New Zealand, you can fit the entirety of New Zealand, no doubt, in Texas alone. Um, so that you have lots of different states trying out different things. What's also interesting about America is that there is no national curriculum and there is no kind of uh, set of standards which every child has to do, whereas certainly in the UK and my understanding of New Zealand as well, there is a national curriculum you know, it's much tighter what they can do. In America, if a school sets up and people want to go to it, they can teach anything. I mean, literally anything. They can say, we're just going to do robotics and never English, and the kids don't need to read. And if people and parents want to pay for that, then, you know, they're allowed to do that in America and in, in the UK. That just wouldn't happen. So a bit of a polarisation. Um, countries uh, worried about an uncertain future are regressing into what they've known and testing conservative sort of approach and then others are doing something different. Yes, absolutely. I mean, certainly if you look at um, some other countries, um, Germany has always had very progressive spaces that's always been quite big, but they are struggling for them with technology. They have really not got to grips with putting, say, Wi-Fi in a school. And if you think about, uh, again, a UK or a New Zealand school, it's just automatic that the children are using technology. They're using iPads. There's, you know, 5G, 4G you know, high-speed Wi-Fi in every area of the school. Germany just quite simply isn't the case. You know, they, the teachers as a, as a profession are very, very um, 
um, quiet, uh, reflective. They don't like, uh, you know, change. They want to do the way they've done it. Um, but their education system does work, and you know, you, you couldn't or wouldn't want to criticise them. Um, but you know, there's massive disparity again in France. They're they're struggling with what technology looks like. Um, but they're much more progressive um, than, than the Germans. Uh, Italy, again, more progressive again. But, but once again, the Spanish, miles away, miles away. So if things carry on as they are, taking the most progressive point, what could a modern classroom look like in 20 years' time? Well, a, a top architect um, who was part of the third teacher project, I asked the same question to, and he said, well, there won't be schools in the future and the classroom could be anywhere. And I think if you were to go maybe 50 years into the future, that's a possibility. But that's not going to be happening tomorrow. It's not going to be happening um, next week. What we've got is we've got schools that are being built. So any new school has got to think very progressively about what kind of teaching is going in there and trying to provide the space to support that teaching. Then you've got existing schools that are going to need to be refurbished. Now, they might not be able to change the size of the classroom, but once again, they have to go back to the pedagogy, look at the kind of teaching that they want to you know, uh, go on in that classroom, and then try and work out what is the best way to make that happen. What we do know is that children in lines uh, with desks, which has been going on for 500 years, does not work for the majority of children in that room. We know that. So what does work? How can we experiment? How can we engage teachers to uh, intervene with project-based learning? Um, you know, individual tuition to the children. How do they get groups together? How do they teach? Because at the end of the day, it is the teacher and it is their work, um, you know, so that the learners and the pupils can learn. Um, a chair isn't going to change anything. A chair is just a facilitation that makes learning possible. We're, we're seeing flexibility is, is, the, is the watchword that people need to make one space, ten different spaces through flexible furniture. Yes, I mean, flexibility is it's a really good word, but I think it's, it's not the catch-all. You can't just say, well, let's just make a flexible classroom. The question is, what kind of learning is going in there? Uh, and how flexible? Do you need maybe a couple of different ways of teaching or do you need 20? Now there isn't a correct answer to that because that's going to come down to the school, to the teachers and exactly what they want to do in that space. So I would caution on the word flexibility. It's not a bad thing, but no, it's not a catch-all. There we go, Bill. I think purposeful flexibility is exactly where we need to be on this. So um, we love the book, Planning Learning Spaces. <laughs> Congratulations. And, uh, the first run sold out already, or nearly sold out? Nearly sold out, no, um, fantastic. So, I mean, what's your favourite chapter? Um, the one which I looked at the most was, um, it's actually quite buried deep in the book, it's about artificial intelligence. What is artificial intelligence going to look like in the classroom? And then to a certain extent, what a school is going to be like. So the thinking behind that is that a school is not, is going to be concentrating on something slightly different. It's going to be concentrating on uh, children's health. Are they well? Uh, they'll be looking at uh, children's uh, sociability. How do they get on with people? So that computers might actually be doing all of the teaching, uh, whether it's on screen or through headsets or whatever. Um, but you can't do that at home because then a child will never meet another child, will never work with lots of different people and see different things and collaborate. So the teaching may change, so the schools may have different kinds of spaces. There may not be classrooms in there at all. There are areas where children meet other children and work together. 
So trying to think about that kind of future was the most profound and the most difficult. A lot of um, Hong Kong students are working from home. They're setting up their classrooms as virtual classrooms. Um, so this is being forced upon people already, isn't it? But if, if, um, if AI can provide the learning part and then the human connections can be done by humans, then you know, who knows where that might be the perfect combination. I've, I've been seeing it exactly the same. What we've got happening around the world now is the, a, a forced mass experiment because no one probably has got the courage to do it in a planned way. So what's happening around Italy and Iran and in China, they're closing the schools and they're forcing it to happen. Mm. Now it's either going to be an incredibly positive experience or it could be a negative experience or somewhere in between. I think we're going to find great stories of how classrooms came together, you know, really inspirational stuff. And yet we could have negative stories as well where it just didn't work, where the kids just weren't engaged with the type of material that they were being being given. So um, I'm not going to say that the COVID experience is going to be very good for the world, but in education terms, it might set out a mass experiment on distance learning in a way uh, that could take a decade to do, and we're going to go do it in three months and find out. So the Learnometer's gone uh, live and commercial in January, launched at the Bet Show. Um, yes. So how, uh, tell us about the story of, of, of how that all came to be from, from the Gratnos perspective. Well, we were approached by um, Professor Stephen Heppel, who had been uh, making a sort of one in the garage, uh, and it was a, just a 3D printed version of it. And he really needed scale, and he needed support, and he needed to, to make it real. And that's where Grantnors came in. Like Fernware, we're, we're a successful um, school furniture business, and we were able to put resources into turning Professor Heppel's idea into reality. What is actually it's all about is trying to put numbers onto the school environment. There's one thing saying the school's too hot, the CO2's at the wrong levels, there's too much pollution. But where's the facts? What are the actual numbers? I mean, is it throughout the day? Is it the CO2 at children's height or is it at ceiling heights? Uh, there are so many aspects of what's going on in the classroom. Um, people's opinions aren't good enough. So the Learnometer is about making it real, putting real numbers to it. Uh, and that's kind of the first time it's happened, and we're really excited. It's the beginning of the project. Um, a lot of the data will take years to come about, but if you don't start and take the first step, then you'll never end up in a place where we have better evidence-based reality on what is happening in the classroom environment. Well, Stephen talks about the aggregation of marginal gains, and uh, if you're a, a, a parent that's keen on, on their students uh, or their children doing well, then you want to give them every advantage, don't you? So environment is the best place to start. Yes, I mean, Stephen's absolutely right. Marginal gains, if you just keep adding them up, do make a difference. But the, it opens up lots of questions. So you could choose a classroom that's too hot and the CO2's too high. What do you do first? Do you bring the temperature down or do you bring the CO2 down? Um, which is better for the child? No one really knows the interreaction between all of the different uh, variables that are going on. We know that CO2, if you looked at it just in itself, the importance of keeping it low. Um, but if the ventilation is good, then maybe you're not going to have a CO2 problem, but you could have well ventilated, but too hot. Or too noisy. Or too noisy, or too bright, or not bright enough. So you can see that the variables here are really difficult to try and understand. 
But I think what we're able to do, certainly with the learnometer, is overlay graphs on top of each other so we can look on time base throughout the day how those variables change and put them directly on top of each other. So where do you have a central database of all of the learnometers and, and all of that data that you, do you capture it globally? So the data just goes in two places. There is uh, anonymized data uh, which goes uh, to Professor Heppel for his research. He has no idea uh, where that data has come from. He doesn't know whether it's a school, he doesn't know whether it's someone's bedroom. The data is actually at a local level. So. Uh, if a school wanted it, uh, they could sign up and send their anonymized data, but more importantly, they can look at the data themselves. And if they had two or three, they could compare classrooms, they could do a research project, um, they could build it into the STEM curriculum. We built sort of a, a class lessons and class plans um, to go with it. The, um, most likely to succeed film, have you seen that? Yes, I have, and there's um, the Tony uh, Wagner film, um, which I'm trying to remember its name, um, which is also very good on the subject. They look at a school called High Tech High, uh, and that is entirely project-based learning. The, the, the exam at the end is the delivery of the project. There is no written work, there is no homework, and there is no formal you know, math, physics, uh, biology. It is one project that the entire class does. It's not even one project per child, it's one project per class, and that, um, they say, is very, very successful. For me, I'm not entirely sure whether that qualifies to get you into, into Yale or, or go to the kind of university... Vernities that... <laughs> exactly, but I mean, the, the, the children who've done it have definitely profoundly changed and have had an education that um, will probably be better for them in the real world than a piece of paper that says, you know, you've got a distinction in further maths. Murray, thank you so much for coming in. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, well, thank you for inviting me. It's, it's been a blast. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We hope you enjoyed Murray as much as we enjoyed interviewing him. He's such an interesting man with lots of fantastic insights. So, um, and remember to share this if you think of anyone who could benefit. Plus, if you would like to be on the podcast yourself or you know of anyone who you think would be great on it, then get in touch because we'd love Absolutely. to hear. Absolutely. Yeah, always looking for fresh guests on the show. And next time we are chatting to former principal of Freeman Space school in New Zealand and now education consultant Sandra Jenkins about how to design a future-focused award-winning school. Opportunities for movement. This is an area that hasn't really been thought about in terms of design in New Zealand. Linking to activity-based working that we know that if you have opportunities to keep moving as part of what it is that you're doing that this will also keep the brain active and um, more alert for learning. Not only for the learners, that they are actually active in their learning, but physically active because, you know, they might change spaces, they go for a walk up the stairs, come down on the slide, or they're at a standing table, they're on a high stool, now they're on the floor. That's all physical. And because it is physical, it's keeping the brain going. There's no teacher station where they're static that that also um, keeps them active as well. So there were specific design elements or key principles that I wanted to bring into the design. Yeah, isn't that great? Bit of a segue from being in the Planning uh, Learning Spaces book to, to being on the show. So we hope you enjoy that. So until next time, take care. Ka kite anon, cheerio and goodbye from New Zealand.